재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 Some years ago I started calling myself Ginger Peter Sherlock Rosemary Emmanuel The Archbishop of Canterbury You may know me better as The Real Slim Shady Rumoured to be the new signing for Westminster and the Thames. And I just love to ride horses. But only if the Banjo Union Bolt has been corrupted. First chapter. It is time again for first chapter. We read you an excerpt from a different book every Sunday morning, usually from the exposition. Today I'll be reading from Dogani or The Crucible by Gong Ji-young. Gong Ji-young is a renowned Korean writer of fiction and essays. Her novels are famous for dealing with serious human rights violations in many areas of society. Our Happy Time, her novel about a death row inmate, is available in English. The Crucible is another Gong Ji-young novel that sheds light on a neglected group of minorities, disabled children living in group facilities. Based on a true story from 2005, The Crucible follows the case of abuse at the Mercy and Love School, a boarding school for the deaf. In the excerpt I'll read today, we meet Kang In-ho, a new teacher moving to Bujin to fill a temporary position at the school. I'll be back with the story after Born to Die by Lana Del Rey. The Crucible by Gong Ji-young Around the time Kang In-ho left Seoul with a modest pile of things, an ocean fog began to drift into Bujin, like an enormous white creature crawling out of the ocean and plodding its soggy feet covered with fine fur. The fog marched forth. All things gave up their outlines to the microscopic water molecules and turned themselves into blurs like soldiers aware of their imminent defeat. The Mercy and Love School, a four-story brick building standing on a cliff by the beach, was also gradually engulfed by the fog. The yellow light emanating from the cafeteria on the first floor was turning cream and disappearing when a bell tolled somewhere. It was Sunday, so it was probably the Sunday morning service bell coming from the church. The sound of the bell traveled far and wide, for the only thing that can travel through fog is sound. A boy was walking along the tracks. The fog had not yet conquered the land entirely, but it was slowly casting its gauzy net and erasing all things. Along the tracks, a pale, nervous patch of cosmos that bloomed too soon was shivering in a huddle under the foggy net. The boy was twelve. Compared to other boys his age, he was far too short and skinny. His light blue striped t-shirt was already soaked with the moisture from the fog. 
The boy walked along the tracks. He limped as though he was hurting, but his expression soon became nearly invisible in the fog that moved landward from the sea. The boy was soon buried in the fog. A regular, mild vibration traveled down the tracks he treaded on. The boy felt it. The Sunday morning service at the Glory Church in the middle of Mujin began at 10. The front yard of the church was already taken over by a thick fog. The crunching sound of straggling latecomers getting into light fender benders while trying to park came from here and there. High beams did not help. The fog was sucking up everything. Even as the scripture, darkness never triumphs over light, was being recited at the service, the fog continued to swallow the headlights. The security guard who handled odd jobs at the parking lot stooped down and fumbled to find the bundle of keys he had dropped by mistake. When he found the keys at last, he stood in the fog and murmured in disbelief, The fog is awful. His words were absorbed by the choir singing to the pipe organ. The track began to rattle. The boy looked back. The train was making a sharp turn along the track and coming his way. The boy turned toward the train and spread his arms wide. A smile or a squint flashed across his face and turned into a howl. The vowels and consonants of his peculiar cry were impossible to make out. The air horn shrieked. When the train hit him, the boy sprang off on impact like popcorn. The train rushed off, leaving behind a silence as deep as some place underwater. The boy's eyelid fluttered one last time, his gaze fixed at the milky void taken over by the fog. When the days are cold and the cards all fold and the saints we see are all made of gold. Dreams all fail and the ones we hail are the worst of all and the bloods run stale. I wanna have the truth, I wanna shelter Around the time Kangino arrived at a rest area and pulled into the parking lot, his phone rang. It was his wife. He had scarcely been on the road for more than an hour. It was she who was sending him to Mujin and it was also she who had decided he would go by himself, leaving her and their child in Seoul. But her voice was nevertheless fraught with sadness. Are you driving right now? No, I stopped. I'm at a rest area. She did not seem to have called for any particular reason. It appeared the full effect of his absence was dawning on her now that he had left with a small pile of things. For a moment, he felt sorry for his wife and pitied himself for having to leave like this. Are you smoking? Well, I guess nothing's going to stop you now since I won't be around to nag you about it. Don't worry too much. You can come to Mujin with Semi next spring. We can send her to kindergarten here. The sound of her laughter traveled from the other end of the line. Sure, if they offer you a permanent contract. He was on his way to Bujin to fill a temporary position. This would not have happened either had it not been for his wife's efforts. 
Her high school friend happened to be related to someone high up at the Mercy and Love School in Muchin, and his sociable wife must have asked for a favor. He had a brief teaching career right out of college, but soon left his job to start a small garment business with his friend. If it had not been for the global economic recession the year before, he might have been on a plane to a factory in China on a Sunday like this. It was his wife who brought up teaching. By then, he had been unemployed for six months and they had to make ends meet somehow. Luckily, the factory closed before the business went completely under. They were lucky they were able to keep their apartment in suburban Seoul. But they had long since canceled their installment savings and taken out an advance on their life insurance. Teach? At a special school for deaf children? He was puzzled when his wife first brought up the idea after meeting with her high school friend. I received a regular teaching certificate when I graduated from college, and that was a long time ago. I can't teach anymore. His wife grinned at him like someone who brought home a war trophy. You and your principals. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised your business went under was probably the rest of the sentence she did not finish. Aware that his ego had suffered a serious blow recently, she made an effort to soften her tone. It's a private school. She said it's okay as long as you're connected to the head of trustees. You get hired, take a few special ed classes at the local graduate program, and you'll be all set. She said there won't be any problems. Good pay, short work days, best working environment, she says. Anyway, you'll work hard, be appointed as a regular teacher, and then you'll be able to look for a position somewhere in Seoul, right? She smiled, hopefully. The Mercy and Love School was standing in the fog. He drove in through the gate and was parking in the lot when a blue luxury car started up right next to him. He was going to roll down the window and say hello, but the driver in the blue car took off as though the fog did not bother him at all, and disappeared past the white wall of haze at a frightening speed. All he noticed about the man was a glimpse of a bald head inside the window. He carefully parked in the lot inundated with haze. The fog parted like a curtain only when wind blew landward from the sea, briefly revealing the enormous brick building of the Mercy and Love School. He got out of the car, the 20-minute drive through Mujin must have been harder on him than the four-hour drive from Seoul to Mujin. His shoulders felt stiff. He lifted his right arm and swung it around a few times and put a cigarette between his lips. Just then, he heard sounds of something brittle being crushed. The crunch, crunch, was getting closer. Moments later, the shape of a little girl appeared. The sound was coming from the child's mouth. She was munching on chips. She was short and thin with shoulder-length hair. She walked out of the fog and was coming his way, eating out of a large bag of chips. Hey, can I ask? He started to speak, but the child's attention was all on the chips. He suddenly remembered that he was at a dormitory school for the deaf. He allowed some time for the embarrassment of his foolish attempt to subside. Meanwhile, it seemed the child saw him too. 
The crunch of the chips in her mouth slowly came to a stop. He tried to sign at her with what little sign language he learned before he came. Hello. Nice to meet you. Today I read from The Crucible by Gong Ji-young. And the tracks we played in between were Demons by Imagine Dragons followed by Paper Cut by Linkin Park. This week's quote is from Jorge Luis Borges, today's roundtable writer. Like every writer, he measured other men's virtues by what they had accomplished yet asked that other men measure him by what he had planned someday to do once again that was from jorge luis borges we have arrived at the end of our show to learn more about next week's topic please visit our website i'm jamie chang have a wonderful week and i'll be back next sunday at 10 a.m with another brand new installation of the bookend Taking us out is Forever Changed by Lou Reed and John Cale. Tame, entering the city. 